one of our core values at Vitruvi, which is something that I had to learn coming from academia into entrepreneurship, is that that discomfort feeling where you have no idea what's going to happen and you don't know if you're actually doing the right thing is where all the magic happens. Anytime I've been nervous to hit the send button on the email or not sure how to act at an event or like completely unsure of what the experience is going to be, what has immediately followed has been growth or opportunity. And so one of our core values is seek the discomfort of the unknown. That's where the magic happens. And you should always feel like it hasn't landed and you should always kind of not be sure what the next step is. Hey guys, welcome to Active Ingredient, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'll be taking a deep dive into why people do what they do and what it is that drives them. I believe every single person has an active ingredient to them, aka a purpose, and all we have to do is uncover what that is and activate it. I'm looking at people across the board with fancy titles like editors and chiefs, founders and CEOs, to under-the-radar activists who are changing the world one person at a time. I want to get to the bottom of how they first discovered their passion, how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. Today's episode is with Sarah Panton. Sarah is the co-founder and CEO of Vitruvi, a premium essential oils company that she started with her brother that I am entirely obsessed with. I actually use their lavender essential oil every single morning before my meditation practice, and it really just helps ground me and really gets me in the zone. Sarah's interest in scent deepened when she was learning about its effect on the limbic system, which is our brain's emotional center, in a neurology course while she was studying to get a degree in global health with plans to become a doctor. This discovery, layered with her love of culture and natural medicine, sparked a deeper passion for the science of scent and its potential to help in her busy days. She saw this as an opportunity to make an even larger impact than seeing patients one-on-one and chose to spread her knowledge of the benefits of scent association by way of Vitruvi, where she is delivering essential oils to the masses. On today's episode, we talk about the power of scent association and how the brain loves familiarity and patterns, how essential oils can help get your mind in the right space for whatever task is at hand, the importance of checking in with your ego and really asking yourself why you're doing certain things, making sure that whatever story it is that you're telling yourself is still serving you. And of course, we get into the power of daily rituals. So with that, let's get into today's episode with Sarah Panton. I'm here with Sarah Panton, the co-founder of Vitruvi Essential Oils. And before we start, I just want to thank you so much for creating a product that I actually use every single morning. I use it with my meditation every single morning. So I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. That makes me so happy. Yeah, no, it's, it's really premium and it's, it's just, it's, a part of my daily routine. So that you could not have given me a better compliment. Aww. So that means the world. <laughs> so I always kick off the podcast asking people, what, what were you like as a kid that you remember? And do you think that the way that you were as a kid translates to how you are today? Oh, no, for sure. I think I'm probably 
the same as I was at 10 years old. There was probably like a blip where I was a little different. Okay. But today, now as a woman. A blip before 10 or after 10? After 10. Okay. Today, now as like a 30-year-old woman, I'm probably as close to my personality as a 10-year-old. Do you know why I ask? It's because I feel like when I have people on that I genuinely feel like are living in their active ingredient, it tends to be that they revert back to that age where they were just like not really consumed by what other people were thinking. And they were just like truly who they were brought on this earth to be. And once like you're an adult and living in that kind of active ingredient self, you're kind of back to that, to that age. Yeah. yeah, No, that's a, that's a great kind of analogy. I I would say like super compassionate, really caring and really interested. I think if I were to explain a memory that probably personifies who I was and am, it was that I basically stole a chicken egg from a farm down the street where I grew up (laughs) because I wanted to nurture it and like took it home and snuck it home because I felt like it wasn't warm enough in the barn that it was in and made a little nest for it in my sock drawer. You're so cute. And then my brother tattled on me and who like, we'll get into into him because we're now co-founders, but that kind of, that memory is so me because I wanted to like nurture this little chick and help it grow. You're so cute. How old were you? um, I was probably nine. Oh my God. Yeah. And my parents made me like go back to the farm and apologize. And that's probably the most Where did you grow up that you have a farm nearby that you're picking up and putting chicken eggs from? Yeah. (laughs) We grew up in the middle of nowhere um, on Vancouver Island in Canada. And it was a really neat way to grow up. Um, Just surrounded by farms and chickens and the ocean and um, really beautiful produce. Like grew up going to the farmer's market that supplied all of the restaurants in kind of Western Canada, like microgreens before they were cool. And then I, I moved to a city and it became very chic to have farm boxes that were significantly more expensive than I grew up with. Totally. It's like the cool thing now to go it's to a farmer's cool market. You like seek yeah. it out. I used to and it's just like, hate it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what were your parents like or what are they like? They're, oh, they're, they're so cool. They're way before their time. My mom was really interested in natural living. She made yogurt when we were growing up. She gone into arguments with our uh, like local grocer in the closest town about carrying organic products. I wasn't allowed to wear traditional makeup, like wasn't strict, but was just really aware. And we spent a ton of time in nature. Most of our photographs from growing up are hiking and me kind of strapped to my dad's back. And um, they were really, really young parents, like early 20s when they got married. They were high school sweethearts and they're still together today and they're best friends. And that's so cute. yeah, they're just really neat people, very before their time. And I mean, I guess your mom kind of had like an entrepreneurial spirit. Like, do you feel like you had that itch too growing up or it kind of came later in life? Not at all. No, really like not at all. My brother was always very entrepreneurial and very good at connecting with people and very spunky and risk taking. And I was very introspective and very risk adverse, I would say, and very thoughtful. Um, and so we were like an interesting juxtaposition. I mean, it's growing the perfect, up. It's, <laughs> it's the like, perfect co-founder balance it for is sure. It's actually really good. And then with a sibling, you can just have like the, the most aggressive honesty that you could ever need to run a company efficiently. And so, no, I, I wouldn't say I was very entrepreneurial at all growing up. So I want to get into what you thought you wanted to be. Um, I know you had a medical background. What was it about that? And and what were your first jobs? My first jobs. So um, at 10 years old, I basically was convinced that I was going to go to Tanzania and work with Jane Goodall. So everything sort of laddered wait, up wait, wait, wait. to like... <laughs> How did you get there? I So I 
found this book about Jane Goodall in my school library. Mm-hmm. And I it just blew my mind because we never traveled growing up. I had no idea of the world and the idea of it. It just seemed so big. And here was this blonde woman that kind of looked like me that was around animals who I loved. And it became like just my be all end all. I got a Jane Goodall Discovery Channel VHS documentary series for my 10th birthday and had a Jane Goodall birthday party. Like I You're was so I was, cute. Everyone I had was, Britney Spears parties. I and was you were like having Jane, Jane Goodall, Goodall like document <laughs> like docu series birthdays. It was You're so cool. Oh my was, god. No, I was not cool. No, but that like now like I'm like that is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so she was like I got this stuffed monkey that I brought around everywhere. So that kind of is what opened my eyes to the world and different parts of the world. And then I became really interested in wellness. I had gone through some some pretty significant health things around 13 like what if you don't mind hormones and I was um, experiencing really really bad vertigo Um, so had to be homeschooled for quite a few years and it was really that that moment in time which is really scary when you kind of have a loss of control of your body that we started exploring different modalities around health and so by experiencing that at 12 13 14 I became a really early advocate for understanding my body because doctors couldn't really figure out what was going on with my ears and it was connected to my hormones and they couldn't figure it out. So I started going to see a a traditional Chinese medicine doctor and acupuncture. Um, We started looking at diet. And this was, again, kind of before its time, but my mom really became an advocate for me to learn about different things as opposed to just sort of like putting me on birth control or prescribing a medication. So that's really what created my interest in, in medicine and wellness. And yeah, to your point, I then went on to study global health, which was really my two worlds coming together, being interested in different cultures around the world, um, but also their health and wellness practices. What was your goal with studying global wealth? Like what global health, what did you envision yourself doing day to day? Yes. I I really thought I was going to live in the middle of nowhere. My favorite courses were in medical anthropology and I was working for a charity at the time and I'd gone to Kenya and we were looking at setting up, setting up a safe birthing center. And I, I truly thought like my goal was to either become a trauma doctor or um, more of like a community health worker um, physician, and then just set up clinics in places that no one would ever hear about. So I had no interest in anything entrepreneurial. So how did you stumble across the idea for Vitruvi? So it came out of a need. Um, from, from that degree in global health, I went on to medical school to study preventative medicine. And in my first year, I started getting test anxiety because we were just getting tested every day. And I stumbled across this article that was talking about the use of rosemary essential oil for memory retention with Alzheimer's patients. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And what did the study show? It was showing that through scent association, the brain, the brain's really lazy. And of the 12 cranial nerves that um, really power our body, the first one is the olfactory nerve. And it's the power of scent and it bypasses, um, the thalamus in the brain, which is basically your reasoning center. So it's almost a way of hacking your brain to create habits and rituals through scent association that can help um, train a habit. So I was using it for um, knowledge recall. So I would smell this lemongrass, rosemary blend that while I was studying at home. And then the next day in the test environment, I would take that little um, bottle and be smelling it as I was doing the test. So you were doing that and you were like, damn, it's working. Like you didn't, you didn't have 
like experience test anxiety anymore or less or it really put me in the driver's seat which uh-huh. a lot of creating a habit and a ritual is it was a sense of control and owning the space and then i just like went down this hole of learning about essential oils and botanicals and it was referencing a lot for my old world of learning about different cultures and practices and i i just started a blog and how a tumblr account oh my god tumblr <laughs> I do. I didn't have one. I yeah. started, my starter was MySpace. Okay, cool. I wasn't that cool. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, it wasn't cool. My song was Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Love it. Not because I liked it, because I was like, oh, this is cool. This I is guess. cool. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what's this it? This is cool. Um, anyway, so you had this blog and were you like formulating to sell or were you just doing it for yourself and, and really trying to get through medical school with it? Yeah, I was just making it and interviewing people. So I was interviewing people about their daily wellness practices and my goal was to kind of create this juxtaposition of a editorial like site that was almost like Vogue and National Geographic, where I was kind of uncovering rituals from around the world, but polishing it in a way that was digestible for people and looked beautiful. And I just, I did it at lunch every day. And then I started doing it in the mornings and I would write articles from my bathtub. I'd like prop my laptop up on the side of the bath and, and write articles at one in the morning after studying. It was like my treat at the end of the day to work on this project. And after two and a half years, it was, it was really true really all I could think about. And I ended up taking a leave from school and and then we built Vitruvi. What was your thought process? Because I feel like that's a lot of time and money and investment in in building this life that you thought would be your end all. I, I want to kind of get into your mindset of what that transition looked like. No one just gives up a medical degree overnight. So I I would love to hear from you on like, did you go back and forth thinking this is something I can do or not do? Like what were your first steps to make you feel like you, you actually were onto something? Yeah. I mean... It was really, really scary and super expensive. I was, it was all student debt, like nothing was, you know, paid for. And this was all my own doing, but it, it was my first really exploration into understanding how ego plays a role in the decisions we make in the path that we look. And sometimes it's important, I think, to look in the rear view mirror. And especially growing up in a small town, it was kind of like, what are you going to do? Okay, like helping people I'm interested in health, I'll become a doctor. And after seven years of pursuing that and a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of money, um, having that moment in time as kind of like a checkpoint to say, are these my people? Like, do I actually enjoy this? Do I look up to any of the people that are teaching me? Do I want their life? Is this interesting? I took a lot of pause to, to, to think about that and the story that you tell yourself. Sometimes it's important to see if it's actually true anymore. Um, and so I'm, I'm, like I said, not a risky person. So I actually ended up taking a one-year leave and I basically had 365 days to prove the concept for Vitruvi with my brother. And if it didn't go well, then I would just go back to school and then figure it out. I want to get back to that mindfulness because you're a college student. Like most college students are not that aware. Were you doing any sort of like therapy or how how were you just so aware? Like that, that's not a common thing in people. Um, I was always like, I was always really curious about different modalities around belief systems, like didn't grow up religious at all, but always had books around Zen philosophy. And I was really interested in like different practices or ways of thinking about things. And I think a lot of that came from my science background, just being really curious. And um, a lot of what I was doing in my degree before was in neuropsychology. So understanding kind of like how the structure of our brain or hormones, I was doing psychoneuroendocrinology, how our hormones affect our brain and then how it affects our decisions. So I think my awareness first started from like a scientific lens and then became more 
esoteric, I guess you could yeah. say. Yeah. So what were your first steps in creating Vitruvi? Uh, first steps was um, blending oils in our apartment. My brother and I, he ended up moving to Vancouver where the company is still based. And Did you pitch him before he moved or how did he get on he board? He had moved to go to business school, just like a small two years sort of like quick degree because he's very entrepreneurial um, and he was working and yeah, it just started in our kitchen and his color ID is still like our first quote office setup in our kitchen with like three mismatched monitors. That's so cute. That we thought we were so major. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys were blending together. We were blending products together. He was building our website. We were stitching, like editing videos. We were, I was transcribing interviews I was doing and that that's kind of how it all began. And this is kind of before the clean beauty or wellness movement was starting. Yeah, what um, year was this? I'm really bad with years, but it was probably like 2013. Okay. Yeah, 2012, 2013. Okay. Um, and we officially incorporated the company in 2014. Um, so we've been at it for a while. Were you, did you guys raise or was that all self-funded? It was self-funded through um, like a mentor of mine that we'd had that really became the first person that sat down with me during that time of reflection. And I had met him through my charity work and he was incredible and we went for lunch and he had sent me this list of questions before that was basically like, what do you want your life to look like? What is, what do you envision? And that's so lucky you had someone. Like I was that. so lucky. It was so, so important. And for people, especially at that age to have someone sit down and he kind of looked at me and he's like, I think that what you're doing isn't going, it's not scalable. Like you'll only be able to sit with so many patients and you'll only be able to see so many people in a life. Um, and he was working on some side investments at the time. And I was kind of became interested in entrepreneurship and business through moving to Vancouver and some of the charity work I was doing. So the plan was to learn from him through these side investments he was doing. And he ended up hearing about what Sean and I were doing. And I'll never forget it. We were sitting down at lunch and there's this stack of decks. Like anyone knows about fundraising, you kind of have a deck that talks about your company. And there was like four decks from different companies that you'd probably recognize. And he pushed them aside and he said, let's do what you're doing. And so he, I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And so he wrote a small check at the time. For me, it was the most money I'd ever seen ever in my life. But in, if you're talking seed round, it was like, not even, <laughs> that doesn't even count. Um, and it, I mean, that was all it, that was it. Who was the demographic at that time? Like you said, clean beauty was not a thing. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you start a company that would be like in that space as Vitruvi, we know who would be, who we would be going after. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't like the cool thing. It wasn't like health and wellness hadn't boomed. How did you create your marketing strategy? And what, what was V1 of the product? Like what, what problem were you solving? Yeah. V1, like the complete antithesis of what Vitruvi is today, which I think really? is an important lesson. So first of all, we were making products for men. What? Yes, oh I know, God. right? I want to see a picture of what this looked like. You need um, to post it. Our first um, press was in Details in GQ magazine. Oh my God. Right? It was very, like the, the aesthetic and brand was very similar, very black and white, very monochromatic, very, it was cold. Mm -hmm. I would say our brand is very, very warm now. 
and leans way more feminine, but it was right. It was around the time of like Tim Ferriss and life hacking and bulletproof coffee. And so we were designing the scent, like the focus blend and the different scents for throughout the day for like the life hacking young male professional. I mean, you're not far off in the demographic. I feel like right now their demographic is probably more female focused, mm-hmm. even though they're like such macho men. But I would, I would probably guess that nowadays it's probably more female. But I think it's important to share these totally. stories because I see people that are starting a business and you can almost overthink or oversolve something, but you sort of just have to put it out and then watch and wait. And then again, like leave your ego at the door and stay true to the principles of your brand, but make sure that you massage it and are playful in how it's resonating with people. And that you're not just trying to kind of stuff a concept down, yeah. down the, down the road. Can you get specific on how you identify when it's time to pivot versus like just it not landing and then giving it, giving it another second to breathe? Because yeah. I feel like nowadays people just lean towards immediate gratification and like maybe it just takes a little bit longer for your V1 idea to take off or like how do you just identify that it's time to pivot, you mm-hmm. know? I think there's a difference between listening and being stubborn and not having grit. So a big thing that that I've seen is that people just that don't have patience, but there's also, you know, that quote around expecting something different to happen after doing the same thing over and over again, the, the insanity. insanity. <laughs> <laughs> and so that I think you need a healthy balance between a distance in your perception of what you're doing or the perspective that you take on your project and listening to people. I think that the biggest thing is um, understanding who's supporting you for you. And this is where I see people make a big mistake is you should have that core group of people around you when you're starting a company or exploring a side project that just love you for you. Like the best friend, the mom that's just going to like pump your tires regardless of what the outcome is. And then you need people that are in a periphery that are experts or have a true real life experience in in what you're building. Um, not people that are know-it-alls that love to give advice or extrapolate a you know, experience that they had 10 years ago in an industry that isn't relevant to try to feel important Mm -hmm. giving you advice, but people that truly, right? Like, don't listen to them. Um, but look for people that are like truly have that experience and know when to lean on the different. So don't go to your mom if you're, or your best friend, if you're actually like bleeding money and want to know if it's still a good idea, go to the business person when you feel defeated after a meeting or that you felt disrespected or that something didn't land or that you didn't do a good enough job, then go to that inner circle. But I think that people, especially in the early days, get those two support systems confused. Um, And that's, I think, what can lead you down that path of either sticking to something for too long or pivoting too fast. That's really valuable advice. What did you guys do to pivot? And how, like, how did that information come your way to think it's time to, to change this to a different demographic? Yeah, it was, it was really kind of just an evolution as we were growing. Uh, that was just sort of where we landed. It, we weren't speaking so much to males that it was on our website or it was just who we were designing for in our heads. And then some of our first stores that picked us up, one of them was um, Holt Renfrew, which is kind of like the, the Bergdorf's of Canada. Mm. It's sort of like a luxury department store. It's been around for a long time. And I begged them to carry us and they finally did. And they said, okay, you can have one part of the store, you can have one table. If you, um, if your team quote team <laughs> is there, they had no idea how small we were, is there seven days a week, every hour we're open, you deal with your own cash, you deal with your own inventory. So I was like, no problem. And just 
came back to our apartment and told Sean that we would be living in Holt Renfrew <laughs> for the next three months. And we did. Um, but that time was really important because that's when we learned who our demographic really was. And it wasn't the husband that was hustling to come in and get a suit. It was the wife that was interested in scent and aroma and was starting to be more curious around choosing natural as fragrance was kind of becoming more of a conversation in the clean beauty movement um, and storytelling around rituals and botanicals. So those three months of living in a luxury department store with a very discerning customer was our, our test. So I always say, if you can get your product out in front of people and just listen, like you can tell when someone's listening versus when they're trying to finish a sentence so that they can explain to you why you didn't understand what they're trying to do. Just listen to them and ask a ton of questions. Okay, so you started in retail. We had no money. So but, now, but now a direct-to-consumer. What advice would you give to someone that is starting direct-to-consumer on getting that valuable feedback from their potential demographic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so our company is still quite split. We have uh, just about 200 retailers that we work with. And then our direct um, online business, I think as much as you can get your product in front of people to experience and listen Um, to even the concept is important. And then um, with direct, I think it's managing expectations and really knowing that it's a pay-to-play game Mm -hmm. and to to understand and kind of level your expectations either up or back, depending on how much cash that you have, and get someone that really understands what marketing in this world means now from a digital lens. Um, Which one right now would you say is driving more revenue for you? Um, well, our direct business does more um, business, but the um, the retail accounts that we have are still incredibly important to the brand and expanding really, really quickly as well. Amazing. Yeah. So, okay. I want to go back to when you pivoted. What what were you solving? Like, what was the messaging to the people when you first launched? Like, what was the problem that Vitruvi was solving? And is that the same problem that you're solving for now? Yeah, no, good question. The core of the company is exactly the same. We're creating aromas that are intentional through the use of essential oils to scent a space. Our first products were personal care, so they were roll-ons and mists. And now people really know us for our diffusers and our essential oil blends. Um, the the layer that I would add on top of that is Vitruvi is really an advocate for people understanding um, the importance of using non-fragrance latent home scenting um, products. So what's, what's wrong with those? Just so, so fragrance, um, the use of the word fragrance, you might've seen kind of people talking about in the beauty movement. Mm -hmm. So traditionally the word fragrance has been able to be put on a label without kind of extrapolating what chemicals are in that or made up of that. So the word fragrance can actually is a placeholder. It's like a mask, a mask for something that could be hundreds of different chemicals that make up that unique aroma, which perfume houses for hundreds of years have been able to use because it's a quote trade secret around how you make a scent. Um, But today it really does. Sometimes you can have a completely natural product, quote unquote, or there's something that you're a candle that's soy or seems really healthy, but then there's a fragrance perfume put in it. And that itself is the, the most toxic part of the entire product. So Vitruvi we're so passionate about people being intentional around space, taking up space through aroma, setting an attention like you do with your meditation practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we advocate is the importance of choosing natural home scenting. Um, if you look at the way that natural has kind of progressed, it started, I would say, a decade ago with people being conscious of what goes in their body through choosing organic produce. 
Then it sort of evolved to clean beauty, what's on your skin. And I believe the next forte in people being conscious around natural is what's in their air and what you're breathing in every day and how important that is for you and your family and your home. How do you incorporate the products throughout your day? And like, if someone's listening that has never used essential oils, like what is the kind of entry point into incorporating them into your life? Yeah, the easiest and I think the most fun is our diffuser. So that is what really would replace a traditional candle. Like I was saying, and we create a few new blends every year that we put so much time into. And we have two releasing on Wednesday that I'm so, ex- I'm so excited about. We've what are they? This months. is this is going live in two weeks. So. Yeah. Um, one is called Velvet and it's super sexy and it has like frankincense in it. And it's just like, it almost reminds me of a French perfume, but the natural version. And the other one is called Nightcap and it smells like a cocktail. It has ginger and black pepper and blood orange in it. Oh and it's God. just like so cool and beautiful. And so we want to replicate that candle experience and truly a scent experience. We design aromas thinking about what an experience smells like, but we do it in a completely natural way. And so that's how I would start. Explore with some blends. We have some kind of quizzes online. And then our content site, Base Notes, which is our digital magazine, has hundreds of recipes for using essential oils from everything from beauty to body to home. Um, But I would say start with transforming a room. And what do you use every day? Oh, I use so many things. Um, one of my favorites is Grove, which smells like Cathedral Grove, which is close to where I grew up. And it just smells like a forest. It's like nature in a bottle. And I researched all the trees that were in that area and created a blend with them. So it just smells so fresh. I'm obsessed with the new velvet scent. Um, I really like ceremony. So if that could be interesting for you to incorporate mm. in your meditation practice, it has um, Palo Santo in it and frankincense Love. Love um, and cedarwood. So I use that during my meditation practice, very cleansing and easy to take on the go. What are your thoughts on scent marketing? I feel like it is probably the strongest way to get kind of a brand association. I think of Disney. I mm-hmm. think of um, Morgan Hotel Group. All of their mm-hmm. hotels definitely have a strong smell. Have you ever been approached by brands to create a scent to go along with their brand? Um, and just what are your thoughts on on that space in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we... We get asked all the time to do that, and we've been really discerning about who we do that with. I mean, we're working on a little secret project right now um, with a pretty well-known um, company um, to do that. And it's Does just- it rhyme with whoop? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would say <laughs> that like, we- I, know. <laughs> I know what you're doing. <laughs> um, I would say that- it's, it's just a fun thing for their company too, because I've been in rooms when we're doing collaborations and it's like, well, I use the analogy of a playlist. So scent and how it transforms a space is almost like sound or music. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes I'll ask what the playlist of their customer would be. And that helps me understand what the energy of the essential oil or the aroma would be because scent transforms a room in the same way that sound or a playlist does. You can put one playlist I on. I would say more so, More actually. so, for sure. But it's kind of what people have the most experience with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you want to set the mood for a dinner party, what scent you put on is very similar to the sound that you would put on as well. So, Is that a service that you guys provide to people or it's just on a case by case if the brand is on brand with Vitruvi? Yeah, we've, we, we're only working on one right now and okay. we've been doing this for many, many years. So kind of, we've been very discerning. discerning, but we have worked with a few hotel groups to create, um, an ability for, uh, the person in the room to choose an aroma 
of their liking to send their room. How fun. Yeah, really fun. And like just a way to create personalization um, in a natural way. And the cool thing about essential oils is that they don't stay on fabrics, which is an important part of them, which is different than a fragrance or a perfume. So that you can have someone in a hotel room, different guests choosing different scents and they won't linger or layer. So, so smart. Yeah. Um, I want to get into kind of like the psychology of scents and you have a few that are focus and you have the sleep roll on, which by mm-hmm. the way, I use every single night. Oh, yeah. Are you the one that's formulating the scientific side of things or, or how does that work to make sure that you have the right nodes for accomplishing those things? Mm-hmm. So we blend everything like a traditional perfume using top and middle and base notes. And that's kind of quite a, a thing that puts Vitruvi differently in the essential oil world is we care about aroma and then we look into function. And and so we're creating a scent first, always keeping in mind the way that we want it to affect the person that's experiencing it. Um, and then we do work with an aromatherapist around in choosing that we're layering and and using the right oils for the intention that we want for them. But we're really, we're really creating experiences um, and then choosing oils. And we've been doing this for many years. So it kind of becomes second nature. You kind of flip and flop between the two. Got it. I want to go back to how you check in with your ego, because I feel like that is necessary for anyone that is starting a company or just at a higher up position. Like, how do you actually practice that? Um, is it something that you do daily? Do you check in weekly? Like how, how do you No, that's do a, that? Yeah. Very good question. Um, sometimes just simply asking yourself what your motivation is. Like, are you doing something to prove someone wrong? Or, you know, I did that by choosing the hardest science classes, the hardest math. I had a, I had a teacher in high school tell me that I should look into other options than university because I wasn't doing well in, in, in calculus. It was like a pre-calculus honors class. And I was horrible at math. And he was like, you should look into other options. Like university might not be the play for you. And so that little comment actually drove a significant amount of because I'm very stubborn, decisions that I made. And like, who am I to like, who's that guy to have power and his like reaction to me? So kind of putting ego aside, I'm not proving it to anyone else, but what in my core do I really want to do? And I think doing a retroactive look and then a proactive look at my life in 20 years, 30 years, if I were to just accomplish or do one thing or be known for one thing, what in my, my heart do I want that to be? And do you feel that with Vitruvi? I do. Yeah. I think that there's parts of it that are very core to who I am as someone that's compassionate and caring. Um, and I kind of live with the motto sort of better than before. And I hope to leave the world a little bit better than before or a room better than before or a product better than before. And really just that iterative approach of creating and making things better is something that's highly motivating to me in whatever scope it is. It could be making a bed better. It's just like, I just am always curious about potential. I love that. At what point did you feel like Vitruvi landed? Like it obviously takes time for people to understand something, especially in the, in the clean beauty space Mm -hmm. and the health and wellness space as it was booming. Like, was there one thing that happened that you were like, people are getting it. Like people are understanding. Um, I still don't feel like that. You don't feel that way? No, I really don't. I still feel like that. Oh my God, it has landed on my life (laughs) so strongly that I feel like everyone must understand it. Like we, 
what Vitruvius today is 20% of the vision that I have for the company and the brand and how it shows up for people and the impact that it has, the design, the look, the experience. Um, it still feels like it could fall away at any moment. What is the other 80%? Like, what do you, what do you want? Things that you can expect from us kind of coming up is a lot more storytelling and content and sharing experiences and uses and practices. And a lot of that will come through our, our digital magazine base notes. Um, and so that's a huge focus for us. Impact events being there for our customers, interacting with them as a digital first brand. Um, creating space for people to have conversation. Um, the, it yeah, must be hard on the digital side because it is something that like, like a scent is yeah. it, what, it, what it is, is that you have yeah, to smell yeah, it. You smell it. Exactly. Totally. The cool thing about us is that you get to kind of, there's the function and the scent and the benefit. So you, you're kind of shopping or experiencing for different reasons, but yeah, no, I think, but I think that's a founder mentality and I've kind of come to peace with it. I had a neat thing happen this weekend where when I first was starting Vitruvi seven years ago, I flew to New York for the first time. I went to ABC Home and Carpet, fell in love. It blew my mind. The most mind. beautiful the store most that beautiful ever place. existed. <laughs> and I took a selfie because I used to take selfies in, um, in a mirror. You don't anymore? I do not. I haven't <laughs> taken about a to selfie take one after in like, this. no, in like five years. <laughs> so I took a photo with my best friend in a mirror that said climbing these walls I never knew existed. And I put it on my, like I posted it and I kept it as a reminder. And it was like this place. Oh, and I was building products in my kitchen with Sean at the time would be like, just, it just personifies what's in my brain when I think about my company. And then this weekend I got to visit Vitruvi who is now carried at ABC home. That's such and a cool I, I was just like, this is, oh, and their team is so amazing. And so that was Congrats, a that's really major. fun pinch me moment, that's but so still cool. haven't feel, it hasn't landed yet. Well, I mean, I guess that's exciting, mm-hmm. but like, I feel, I mean, I'm in the space. So like, to me it's landed, but like, it's cool that there's still so much opportunity for mainstream to understand how much it can really impact. Mm-hmm. And I think that's people just, when you're building something, it's just never going to, if you feel like it's landed, you're over. Yeah. Like you're done. That's so true. You're done. And one of our core values at Vitruvi, which is something that I had to learn coming from academia into entrepreneurship, is that that discomfort feeling where you have no idea what's going to happen and you don't know if you're actually doing the right thing is where all the magic happens. Anytime I've been nervous to hit the send button on the email or not sure how to act at an event or like completely unsure of what the experience is going to be, what has immediately followed has been growth or opportunity. And so one of our core values is seek the discomfort of the unknown. That's where the magic happens. And you should always feel like it hasn't landed and you should always kind of not be sure what the next step is. I have goosebumps from here to my knees, (laughs) just FYI. So incredible. I want to talk about you and your brother. Mm -hmm. Um, What is that dynamic like? Is it something that you would recommend? I guess it depends on who your brother is. (laughs) But I want to just hear about how you positioned it to him first on on coming on. Are you guys 50-50 partners? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Very own equal parts of the business. Um, He is like the coolest person ever. Um, Way cooler than me. He's older, younger? He's younger. Um, He's a born entrepreneur. He is just so great with people. He's... um, really just, he just thinks quickly and he just knows how to react. Um, and he's a doer and Sean is, yeah, I just don't think 
we would have gotten to where we are without being able to have like really, really frank conversations and kind of keep each other in check. And we'd come out of a meeting and be like, why did you do that? Or (laughs) what were you thinking? Or don't be an idiot. Or like, what advice would you give to someone that is thinking about going into business with either a partner, a sibling, a parent? Like, I don't think anyone should go into business with their partner, like really life partner. I also wouldn't invest in a partnership like that. I think that it's because it become, it will become all you talk about. So as long as you're okay with that, even with my brother um, and our family, like our, our parents used to come over and help us fill bottles and put labels on things. And this is so cute. Do you have pictures of that time? I do. I do. Can you send them to me? I want to post them. My mom will be so excited. (laughs) Um, And like, that's just, it just becomes all consuming. If you're going to get anywhere, it just needs to be all you're thinking about. So as long as you're cool with your marriage becoming that I'm not, but, um, yeah. Do you feel like you and your brother, that's all you guys talk about? Um, for the most part, to be honest, like we try not to, and we'll hang out on the weekend and then inevitably at the end, it kind of comes up or something we need to do on Monday or, um, do you wish that that wasn't the case? No, I think we know that it's for a period in time and we're kind of all in and it's just sort of what you have to do. The cool thing about a sibling is that you'd like, you know, you love each other and with or without the business business, and like, we're going to be spending Christmas together anyways. So it's sort of like, well, whatever. I love that. We'll get over it. Yeah. So you seem to be, (laughs) you seem to be a person that like really has known yourself for a long time. And this podcast is really for people that are in kind of a transition period or they might feel a little lost and don't know the questions to ask themselves on figuring out what that is for them. Like you knew yourself enough to know to not pursue that degree and start something, I guess. What advice would you give to someone that is at that crossroads right now that knows that what they're in the direction for is not what they want to do, but they don't know what it is? Yeah. Well, I, I, I see what you're saying, but I think that I really was figuring it out as well. I mean, that's what your twenties are for, mm-hmm. right? It's in your, in your late teens. And it's so ridiculous to me that people are asked at 18 to figure out what they're going to do. I, I couldn't it's agree It's bizarre. More. It's so much pressure. And um, no, I had no idea. And so that put me on a different path, but I would say, think about what you would do kind of in your spare time, if you could do anything. And then think about if you would be okay, if that was all you did. Um, and I, there's an important difference between like doing your passion project, which was what mine was, but then it changes when you're depending on a paycheck or you have a team of people that have a paycheck around it. So as long as you're okay with that becoming work, then I say, go for it because it's going to change. But if you, some people have pleasures and hobbies that they want to stay like that, whether it be painting, but as soon as you start charging people for it, it, it will evolve. But I would say the question I would ask is what do I forget about time doing? And when do I feel, cause that's flow state. And so for me, it was writing and learning and experimenting. And I'm, I'm truly an academic, like when I love learning about things and, and researching, and I still get to do a lot of that. So that puts me in the flow state. I was going to ask you, do you feel like now that you're, I mean, people do rely on paychecks and you rely on a paycheck from Vitruvi, like, do you find that you get that flow state with retrieving. I do, but you kind of then have to put the responsibility first. Right. Um, and so I'm responsible to the company first and our shareholders and our team. And, um, so I put that above and beyond, but I, uh, ensure that, that, that purpose is still there, but yeah, think about what you do in flow state and then think about if you would want your paycheck to depend on that. Cause it'll change. What is your 
active ingredient? Like, what is the thing that gets you up all the time to produce the new, the new oil or come up with a new diffuser line or whatever it is? Like, what is it about what you're building? Or it doesn't have to be Vitruvia. It can Mm -hmm. be in your life, like that you find to be your active ingredient right now. That kind of motivates me? Or? Yeah, like your your deeper purpose. Like is your deeper purpose to create space? Is your mm-hmm. deeper purpose to build something? Mm-hmm. You know, like what is your fundamental thing? I think it's cr- creating. Like I just am fundamentally love seeing something come into the world that didn't exist before. And also seeing people own space and our customers take up space and our like the people and especially women that use our products that you can embody and create a space kind of in a secret way. Um, but the thing that motivates me that gets me out of bed is like, how can I make today really awesome? Or like how, how great could I make today? Or how great you ask yourself that every day. Like I'm actually genuinely curious, like, okay, excellence (laughs) is incredibly motivating to me. I love the pursuit of it, the pursuit of it. Like I'm not a perfectionist. And as I would say, because you can't be, and if you're an entrepreneur, you need to like, just keep moving. But the pursuit of excellence is really interesting to me and gets me, I get most excited in design meetings when we're creating or making a choice about something that didn't exist before. Love that answer. What is your morning and night routine? I'm so curious. I've actually never asked anyone like that's oh. Yeah, it's not an active ingredient question, but I just want to know what yours is because it's inspired mine. So I just am curious. Okay. Um, so morning or evening? Both. I want to oh, hear okay. morning first and then okay. evening. Um, morning is, is pretty easy. I drink a ton of coffee. Okay. <laughs> um, I drink a lot of water. I drink uh-huh. about a liter of water in the morning. Damn. Which is Are like, you peeing all day? I am peeing all day. <laughs> But like your body gets quite dehydrated during the evening. And a lot of that brain fog is actually just dehydration. So I drink a ton of water in the morning. I have like a big thing with a straw and I drink it as I'm putting my makeup on and getting ready. Um, I get up quite early and I, I just, I, I start working. Like I get most of my work done in the morning between 6 and 7.30 a.m. Because you're the sharpest then? Um, yeah. And it's just the only time that I get really to myself. Um, cause when I get into the office, it's really around the service of others mm-hmm. and the service of our team. So I get most of my stuff done. We do a lot of work on the East coast. We're based in on the West coast. Um, so people are up by then. And then I usually do a morning Pilates class at a, a space right up the street from me called turf, um, in Vancouver. And I do usually a class from seven to eight. And then a lot of our team gets into the office at 8am and I come in at nine so that they're kind of all settled. And then just usually a day of meetings starts. So and meditation. Um, no, I do that at night. Mm. So my morning is really, I know people say like, do the meditation and set your intention. I really get up, drink water, drink, so drink coffee, do work, do a workout and then get to the office. And evening? Evening is way more elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> evening is usually like a walk with my dog, Charlie. She's like, she comes to the office with me every day. Oh and she's God, What incredible. type of dog is she? She's a Cocker Spaniel poodle. Aww. So she looks like a little teddy bear and she's the sweetest angel. Um, and I love being outside. So we go out, um, for a walk. I live really close to the beach. So we do a beach walk, um, and then come back and I do matcha. As soon as I come home, my body at night, at night, uh, usually around my boyfriend literally asked me last night, he's like, should I have a matcha? And I was like, no, I mean, different people's bodies metabolize things differently, but it's part of my routine. When I get home, I like the bitterness. I feel like it preps my stomach before I'm about to eat. Um, and so I do a matcha as soon as I get home, walk Charlie on the beach. Then I do, we do dinner, which is usually like a big salad with sauerkraut and a lot of digestive stuff. Um, and then I usually do a little bit more work, do something fun. I read a ton. 
Um, and then in terms of like bedtime, bedtime routine, it's like a whole system. My partner will just be like, have you started yet? And I'm <laughs> like, I need to hear it. Have you started yet? Um, and so I do, uh, the cleansing bars from drunk elephant and then I do an exfoliant. Um, and then I use a hyaluronic acid serum from Osea, which I love. And then Vitruvi, we have our own face oil blends that you can customize. Ooh, is the sleep? Uh, face oil? No, no it's, it's a body oil, okay. but we have carrier oils where you can design your own face oil. And so I have a custom one for that. Ugh. And then I use fa- our facial cups and our gua sha. Um, you have gua sha's? Yeah, we have gua sha's. Oh my God. Facial cups. Um, so do like a whole bunch of circulation. And then I put a little diffuser blend on in, a, in our bedroom. Um, and it kind of creates this, this state of sleep time. Um, so I usually use our dusk blend, which I designed from a trip to Joshua Tree with a few of my girlfriends. Um, and then I do tea and a meditation. I use ins- an insight timer for meditation. And I usually do... T- Which one? I, I have it. I just... I haven't found like a good one that I like. Um, for the guided ones? Yeah. I use Tara Brock or okay. Sarah Blondin. Um, and they're amazing. So then okay. I do I do that practice with our frankincense oil. Um, yeah. That's about it. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I always close out the podcast asking what is your literal active ingredient, meaning like something that you have to do, consume, eat, watch every single day to get you going. Could be as simple as water. It could be as crazy as, I don't know, I've heard someone on a podcast ask to jump out of a plane. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm not that cool. <laughs> I'm not that cool. Mine is way more boring. Um, I've eaten a plant-based diet for many, many years. And I think that when you lead a company or a family or whatever that is to you, it's sort of your duty to take care of yourself. So I look at my self-care as a non-negotiable. Um, so I eat really clean so I can think clearly and have energy and I'm traveling all the time. So I would say really good plant-based food because I actually think I take that for granted, how fundamental it is for my performance and um, Pilates and um, energy work. I work with an amazing um, trainer named Katie McKenzie, who we do Qigong and Reiki together. What's Qigong? It's um, like an ancient um, movement of energy in the air. And so you're actually like moving energy through your body and commanding and shifting and um, cool. yeah. And so it's, are you laying down or no, you're moving. It's like a, it's an active practice okay. and I'll actually do it before I walk into a high intense meeting, just like quietly, like almost secretly because it's like, you wouldn't see it. No one would see it in my office, <laughs> but it's just sort of like, Oh, like you're just sort of owning the energy of your body. Um, because when you're around people all day and as an intuitive or like sensitive person, you can pick up on it. Mm-hmm. So I would say, the Pilates, just being strong in your body, really clean plant-based food and understanding your energy. I love that. I'm going to ask two more questions that I'm going to weave into the podcast. Okay. Um, being an entrepreneur has obviously a ton of highs and lows and like your emotions are changing constantly. How has creating a company that has really is, is foundational in creating space helped you navigate that? And like, do you find that you are kind of moving, moving your energy like up and down all the time? Or do you think that you have it kind of under control? Oh, I know my energy is all all over the place many days. Um, I can get really excited about certain things and really scared. I think it's definitely helped me practice the art of non-attachment because we know, um, things just, I, I don't get excited as quickly. That kind of might sound sad, but it, I kind of sink into things a little bit slower now. Whereas before, 
Because you understand the volatility Mm -hmm. of entrepreneurship and that you can't put your happiness dependent on a decision that ultimately won't be in your control because that is just a recipe for disaster. (laughs) And I did that for the first two years and it's exhausting. Um, And that can look like either, you know, putting the emphasis on someone's opinion or putting the energy or the the priority on someone's um, uh, them saying yes or no to an opportunity. So that, that, you know, I've learned to manage, but at, for the so first So you just like years, literally separate space se- from something that could be exciting or something, or something that could be terrible. Yeah. And, and you, you know, in your space. gut, you still get excited. Yeah. Right. But it's managing that. And that really is sort of like the art of non-attachment kind of in Zen philosophy where it's like nothing too great is going to last for very long, but nothing bad is going to last that long either. So if we can kind of stay in, keep a, getting me in like a flow, <laughs> then it's okay. I mean, I obviously get super excited for certain things yeah. and my team sees us ecstatic, Yeah, but part of leadership is kind of like holding course. Yeah. What books have you read that have changed Ooh, your mentality? Oh, I read so many. Um, around business? Around mindset, business. Mindset. Anything that, or it could be anything, honestly, yeah. just anything that has really changed the way that you look at things. One book that really resonated with Sean and I is Shoe Dog. Ooh. Have you read it? I haven't, but it, it's it is, so many people have it said it. It is such an accurate representation of the shit show of entrepreneurship. Okay, <laughs> Am I, I need to, to read say it. That? Yeah, 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 of course. Oh my God, of Because course. it just like so many times, like even for us at the beginning, like getting banks to believe you, like having conversations around risk, like he, like Phil Knight that he embodied and showed what it means. I mean, we're obviously not a Nike, but I think at any stage in the beginning, how flippant some decisions are like the Nike swoop that seems so monumental and that we don't need to like make things too complicated. Right. Yeah. But I would say shoe dog is a really good one. Okay. I need to, you're like the fifth person to say that on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, And then quickly, I want to get into plant-based. Oh, okay. Um, Why did you decide to go plant-based? And for someone that has just gone plant-based, a lot of people think that it's super carb heavy and that like a lot of the carbs alternatives, aren't bad. they're not, but I mean, I can love carbs. I love <laughs> carbs too. I mean, I'm honestly asking selfishly because yes. I recently went plant-based a month and a half ago. Oh, I just like notice that I'm eating just way more carbs and mm-hmm. I, it's harder for me to weave in as many vegetables as I would like. So right. any like intro tips to plant-based, why did you go plant-based mm-hmm. and yeah, any tips and tricks? I think that if you can start looking at your plate as tools, So finding nutrient-dense food that does as much work as possible for it. So if you can even take like 30 minutes or I'll send you a list after this. But there's certain foods that are just like packed with nutrients and that work harder for you and do more than other ones. And so as someone like you that's living a high-impact life and that's all over the place, building stuff and you need a lot of energy, tapping into one, how you want to feel because there's different foods that do different things, but two, finding the ones that have the most benefit with the least amount of calories and the easiest to digest. And that makes it so that your body can absorb those nutrients more and that you can eat more abundantly and that it's actually nourishing you. Give me three of those nutrients that are like very prevalent in your diet. Um, so one is I usually have like sauerkraut or kimchi on a salad for lunch every day. Okay. And on a salad, I'll have um, red peppers because they're super, super high in vitamin C. Even if they're cooked? Um, yeah, even if they're okay. cooked, I think that cooking is totally fine. Um, and then I'll usually do like either like a... Um, a, a spinach with it. Uh, another good one is if you're worried about protein is like red lentil pasta, almost 
like three times a week, I'll have just like a simple red lentil pasta with like some plant-based cheese and just steamed broccoli because I just want something comforting and simple yeah. and full of protein. And No, I'm not concerned about protein. I What I'm more concerned about is I, I'm not scared of carbs. I just feel like I'm eating them so much more than I normally do. And mm-hmm. I've never really like, like I've never stopped myself from eating carbs. I just yeah. find I'm eating so much more of it. Than, than plants? Because I just, no, I think I am eating more carbs than plants yeah. right now, to be completely honest. Like yeah. avocado has become my go-to for almost everything. So right. I, I, I mean, I need it for energy, I guess. But I just, I wonder, and a lot of people wonder when you go plant-based, like, is it good to eat that many more carbs than you would have an animal diet? Yeah, maybe this one's hard for me to answer because I've been plant-based for so long. Right. But okay. I think just try to eat as many greens and vegetables as you can. And yeah. the rest kind of, because people forget that those are, are foods too. Yeah. And that those are carbs as well. So a lot of times you can have a salad in it and you, and you don't need like the rice on it too or right. the beans on it too. Yeah. Like you can just have a salad. Yeah. Just reconditioning what a meal is yeah. is also an important exercise, I think. Why did you decide to go plant-based and how long have you been plant-based? Um. I, it was honestly just, I, I moved out at 17 and we'd always eaten a lot of vegetables growing up and I just didn't cook meat. And then I could never really have dairy because it didn't agree with me. And then I just like, this was before vegan was a thing. And then I was just vegan. And then I went for a few years being vegetarian and introduced dairy back, but I, I, it doesn't agree with my skin. Hmm. So, so yeah, so it it's just not kind about of happened. animals. It's not about. No. And I also just don't believe in hurting animals. Yeah. I don't wear vegan leather or, um, or like I only use vegan only leather. Use yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. Amazing. Where can everyone follow you, the brand, everything? Uh, Vitruvi.com is our website and at Vitruvi, V-I-T-R-U-V-I on Instagram. And then um, you can follow me on Instagram. It's just Sarah L. Panton. Amazing. Thank yeah. you so much. This was thank so insightful. So oh. I love your product. Seriously. Oh, so thank fun. you. Thank you guys so much for listening. It would mean the world to us if you could rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.